In 2016, at the World Triathlon Series in Mexico, two British triathletes, who were also brothers, Johnny and Alastair Brownlee, were coming first and second in the final running leg of the triathlon. Johnny had a significant lead, but 500 metres out from the finish line, he started to weave around. He obviously wasn't in control of his legs. And after a few more metres, he collapsed into the arms of a steward on the side of the track. It was 35 degrees with 95% humidity and Johnny was in the early stages of heat stroke. But as his brother Alastair rounded the corner behind him, he grabbed Johnny's arm, put it around his neck and the, and the brothers continued to run towards the finish line together. The third place runner easily overtook them and went on to win the race. But as Alastair basically carried his brother to the end, the, the crowds and commentators couldn't quite believe what they were saying. Was this allowed? Did Alistair really just give up his chance of winning the race to help his brother finish? Well, as they reached the finish line, Alistair unlooped Johnny's arm from around his neck and pushed Johnny across the line first. So that as Johnny collapsed over the line, he came second, while Alistair took third place. And I think it's because Alistair's love for his brother is bold, tenacious, extravagant. It stuns us a little, doesn't it? It certainly stunned those commentators. But as we continue through this never-ending lockdown, what, kind of, what place does this kind of love have in our lives? I think we're all just feeling a bit scared and wrung out, stingy. Perhaps we're feeling that God doesn't love us very much at the moment. How do we know God's love or love others when our lives feel so stunted and disappointing? Well, as we spend some time in Ruth chapter 2 today, I hope it'll feel like we're warming ourselves at a fire on a bitterly cold night. Because in this chapter we see bold, tenacious, extravagant love. Love that stuns us and warms us. Uh, well, at the end of chapter one last week, Naomi had returned to Israel from Moab after 10 years. She'd left Bethlehem in Israel with a husband and two sons, and she returns empty. Her family is dead, and she's only accompanied by a daughter-in-law, Ruth. And they're destitute and unprotected. And so chapter two begins this way, as Susan read. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. So that's Naomi's husband, whose name was Boaz. This is the first time we're introduced to Boaz. And it's a little out of the blue. Uh, but it's also very interesting information. Uh, for widows like Naomi and Ruth... In a patriarchal society, their only hope for flourishing was to come under the protection of a man. And as well as being related to Naomi, Boaz is described as, as a man of standing. So perhaps this worthy man, respected by his community, perhaps he'll do something to rescue Naomi and Ruth from their dire circumstances. Shortly after arriving back in Bethlehem, Ruth takes the initiative to provide for herself and Naomi. At that time, there was no Centrelink for widows and refugees, 
Uh, but God had made some provision for the poor and vulnerable in his law given to, Mo given to Israel. Uh, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 24, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And so this is what Ruth does. She decides to go out to the fields and pick up the leftovers from the harvest. Now, this isn't lucrative work. It was a hand-to-mouth existence with the poor struggling to collect enough grain to survive. From being a wife in her own country with security and a future, Ruth is now a widow and a refugee. Uh, but even as her life becomes smaller, she continues to show bold, tenacious love for Naomi, providing food for them both. And then we're told that by chance, as it so happens, uh, Ruth stumbles into a field belonging to Boaz, the same Boaz who is Naomi's relative. What a coincidence. And then in another coincidence, uh, Boaz suddenly arrives in his field to see how the harvest is getting on. And he immediately notices the stranger among his workers. And he asks the overseer, who does that young woman belong to? Not who is this woman, but who does she belong to? And of course, this fits with the culture in which a woman only became somebody in relation to the men in her life. So in Ruth's case, her husband is dead. Her father-in-law is dead. Her father and brothers aren't in the picture. She's a nobody. What's more, she's a Moabite, a foreigner from a nation that was historically hostile to God's people. The overseer tells Boaz who Ruth is and also that she had asked to glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So although the poor would have stayed out of the way, usually gathering scraps near the edges of the field, Ruth has approached the man in charge and asked to work among the sheaves in the middle of the harvest. This is audacious. Ruth knew that she'd never be able to feed both herself and Naomi with scraps. And so she acts boldly so that she can continue to care for Naomi. Well, amazingly, Boaz, the wealthy, powerful landowner, approaches Ruth and welcomes her with kindness and generosity. He tells her to stay in his field with the women who work there, offering her companionship and protection. He also gives her greater access to the harvest, more than is required by the law in Deuteronomy. And he commands the men who work for him to not lay a hand on her. Only now, maybe, do we realise more of what Ruth was up against. Not only was gleaning leftovers from the harvest hard work, it was also incredibly dangerous. Even Boaz's own men had to be commanded not to assault her. Now, instead of fearing for her own safety, Ruth has come under Boaz's protection. And Boaz uses his position and his power to care for the vulnerable woman, whom he calls my daughter, just as Naomi did. Even down to the detail of inviting her to quench her thirst from the water jars provided for his workers. Well, Ruth is overwhelmed by this extravagant kindness and bows down to the ground, uh, a way of appropriately showing her gratitude. She's very aware of her outsider status in Bethlehem, so why has he shown her such favour? 
Well, Boaz explains, he says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz praises Ruth's bold, tenacious love. And the wonderful thing is, as Boaz prays that she will be rewarded by God under whose wings she's taken refuge, he himself has already given Ruth some measure of refuge and reward. Well, at their lunchtime, the same thing happens. Boaz invites Ruth to share in their meal, showing extravagant kindness by providing her so much food that she's full and has leftovers. And as she gets up to work again, Boaz gives her even more privilege, telling his workers Ruth is allowed to work amongst them and they should even intentionally leave barley for her to pick up. At the end of the day, Ruth has collected an ephah, which is about 13 kilograms of grain, the equivalent of about two weeks wages, and Ruth isn't even a worker. When she returns home, Naomi is shocked by the amount of grain she has. And the anticipation builds as Naomi asks questions to find out who has shown her such generosity. Naomi says, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And when Ruth eventually gets a word in, the truth comes out. The name of their benefactor is Boaz. Naomi then tells Ruth what we've known all along. Boaz is a close relative and he's one of their guardian redeemers. Now, this is a a legal term from the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Uh, If an Israelite experienced financial difficulty and had to sell their land, a guardian redeemer was a close relative who was expected to buy the land and ensure that it remained within the family, protecting them from losing their heritage and source of income. In response to this news about Boaz, Naomi bursts out, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Boaz's extravagant love in providing food for the widows is is really wonderful. For today, they've been rescued from starvation. But Naomi is even more excited by the realisation that Boaz is one of their guardian redeemers. She's hopeful that Boaz might provide a more lasting solution to their problems. And she recognises that God has not stopped showing his kindness and his love. And he's done that through Boaz. Well, in a way, it's, it's a simple story. There's Ruth's bold, tenacious love as she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem and then risks her safety to gather food for them. And Boaz's extravagant love as he generously provides for the vulnerable, going beyond the requirements of the law. But underneath the extraordinary actions of Ruth and Boaz, there's a guiding hand in the story. It's no coincidence Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. And Boaz didn't just show kindness because he's a nice guy. God guided Ruth to the right place. And Boaz was following God's law to care for refugees and the vulnerable and even went beyond the law to show extravagant love because he knew that would delight God. 
as we hear about Ruth and Boaz and about God working behind the scenes, we're warmed by this picture of God's love. And the love in this story is only a sneak peek at God's love for us in Christ. The warm-up act, you could say. One day in the distant future, when we again get to see our favourite singer or band live, and before they come on stage, you get the warm-up act. And they're good, but they're just getting us ready for the real deal, the main act. Our New Testament reading uh, that James read in Titus shows us the main act of God's kindness and love. Titus, it reads, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Because he loves us, God became human. Jesus lived among us, died in our place, and he rose again and now lives in us by his spirit. That's the main act of God's love. A bold, tenacious, extravagant love. In a time of heartache, disappointment, limited living, Jesus, uh, God is pouring out his love for us. Like in the book of Ruth, God is working in our lives to show his love for us, sometimes through coincidences and often through the love and kindness of others. And as we gather around the, the warm fire of God's love for us, we can share this, these sparks, this warmth with others. Knowing God's love empowers us to take his love to the world. Uh, just one way that we can share God's love is by loving the refugee. Uh, Boaz selflessly gave up his time and resources to show love and kindness to Ruth, a refugee outsider in Israel. Uh, in Australia, our government's asylum seeker pol policy punishes rather than protects people. Those who come to Australia by boat seeking refuge are sent to be processed offshore and then left there with little hope of living safely or supporting themselves. Even those who are released into the community are forced to live on temporary protection visas forever. They have to apply every few years to stay in Australia and don't get the benefits of reuniting with their family or even being able to visit them. Zoe, a member of our church, has worked in refugee law and asylum seeker communities for the last decade, decade, and she's kindly given me a bunch of suggestions for how we could love those who are seeking refuge in Australia. Um, I'll put the whole lot of them in next week's What's On email, but just to mention a couple now, uh, RACS and JRS are two organisations that help people seeking asylum with legal services and other support. Perhaps you've got the finances to donate money to their work, which has hugely increased since the start of COVID. Or maybe you could write a letter to the Home Affairs Minister, Karen Andrews, and ask that she reconsider our current policies so that refugees can receive permanent protection in Australia. As those who know the warmth 
of God's bold, tenacious, extravagant love for us. Let us be people who share that life-giving warmth with others. Uh, let me pray for us. Loving God, thank you for your overflowing love for us. Help us to see your guiding hand as you show your love in your lives, in our lives, sorry. And we pray that you would fill us with your love for the refugee and the vulnerable, a love that drives us to action. For the sake of your holy name. Amen. We're going to go into our next song now. Thanks, Gillian. <laughs>